Hi, everybody. Welcome to our podcast. We are the three clergy of St. Mark's Episcopal Church in New Canaan, Connecticut. We are so pleased that you're joining us. I'm Peter Walsh. I'm Justin Crisp. I'm Elizabeth Garnsey. This is our fourth podcast. In the first podcast, we had Jesus insulting the Syrophoenician woman. In the second podcast, we had Jesus saying that he was going to suffer, be rejected, killed, rise again, and that we were to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. In the third, Jesus told us that he was going to be killed and suffer under human hands and that we had to be servant of all. And now today we have cut off your hand, pluck out your eye, cut off your foot, and a lot of violent language about hell. When I hear people say the Bible is the family book, I sometimes think they're reading a different book than I am. So here we go. Today, Mark 9, 38 to 50. These are collected sayings of Jesus. The first you're going to hear about is casting out demons in his name. The second is four statements about stumbling, and it would be better. These are sayings about the kingdom and hell. And the third, sayings about salt. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us, for truly I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, It would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, for where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Some more simple scripture for us to talk about here this morning. Fun. <laughs> Since you said fun, you're oh, first no. up. Oh, no good deed goes unpunished, Justin. <clears throat> well, uh, if we're thinking about this first, uh, the first paragraph of this lesson where we have this back and forth um, between John and Jesus, um, I actually think this is one of the, it's not fun, but it is applicable to where we are as a culture and a society today. So you have... John and perhaps the other disciples, perhaps John is just like a stand-in for the rest of the crew here, who see somebody else, a competitor, as it were, on the marketplace of religious ideas and spiritual experience, who's casting out demons, and actually casting out demons in Jesus's name, but he's just not a part of Jesus's crew. And he's saying, you know, we tried to stop him because he didn't have his brand right, or he hadn't paid his dues, or something like that. And Jesus says these really famous uh, words, whoever is not against us is for us. 
Uh, he's, um, you know, we've spoken about how uh, Jesus is, notwithstanding how difficult his sayings can be, he is um, trying to move us always out of our comfort zones, out of our parochialisms, out of our little, like, cloisters, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, and here, I think he's trying to, um, uh, trying to, you know, get the disciples to, like, see outside of themselves, to see that this is his movement, the mission of God that he uh, is the embodiment of is not something which is going to be exclusive to them, but is rather something which is destined for the whole world. Mm. And that right. if that's the attitude, they've got to be okay with other people, like, taking the truth of this message and running with it. Mm. Um, and in yeah. our world of parochialisms, tribalisms, etc., it's not a bad word for us. Whoever is not against us is for us. Right. Oh, nice, nice. Oh, yeah, I think that's a great, great interpretation and and application to today. And uh, there was a little note in my study Bible about Moses in Numbers, how um, when a lot of prophets are are prophesying falsely or or, or prophesying outside of the circle, inner circle, Moses said, you know, would that all the Lord's people were prophets Mm -hmm. and that God would put his spirit upon all of them. So he just dismissed that complaint that people that his own prophets, so to speak, were complaining about some other ones. And so there's a nice parallel here um, in Jesus. And uh, I'm also struck by this word "us." They were he was not following us. They, they didn't say you know he, they're they're not following you. Um, they they are concerned that you know they're not one of the twelve in the in group. And um, and I think that's exactly what what you're saying. Um, but man, we sure do that. I myself have in my life, my religious path been very judgy about different kinds of churches and different kinds of ways of worship. And um, it's taken a long time for me to kind of step back and realize, you know, there, there are many ways to worship Jesus and, um, or follow. I mean, I don't know if there are many ways to follow Jesus, but <laughs> there, there are many ways to, to get on the path. Yeah. And um, I think that you're right. That's, where I, that's how I read that too. It's helpful. Yeah, this passage, I, I do love the, the us-ness, and it's not Jesus. This reminds me of a trip that I was on in 2010 when Jews, Christians, and Muslims went to the Holy Land together. And we were all on the bus and, uh, for two weeks together. And as uh, the weeks unf- you know, unfolded, what we found was, or what I uh, saw was that if there were issues, the Jews had issues with the Jews, the Christians had issues with the Christians, and the Muslims had issues with the Muslims. Mm. We didn't have issues with each other so much, and that was what we went to sort out. But really, the denominationalism of all of our, of our different religious groups, I mean, the conservative rabbis were upset with the liberal rabbis, and the, and the mm-hmm. same thing in the, in the Christian, uh, amongst the Christians. And the Muslim, actually, the Muslim guys seem to do better than, than, <laughs> uh, than the Christians or the Jews. But anyway, really okay. interesting. Isn't there a story about, I think, in the, the, the Holy, Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, the uh-huh. Muslims actually mm-hmm. keep the keys to the church? Since the 1100s, the, the Christians Muslims... Oh, excuse me. Yes, since <laughs> the 1100s, the Muslims have been the people who literally have the key that opens the front door to the mm-hmm. Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And the man who does that stands out in front in the courtyard there. We have some pictures with him when we go on our pilgrimages. And his uncle lives in Greenwich and knows my brother. 
Wow. How's that for small world? <laughs> That's a Peter Walsh story. If uh, I would uh, okay, okay. Right. From, from <laughs> my, my point is just that the Christians can't handle the fighting over the key, so yeah, they had right, to hand yeah, it yeah, over totally. to it. No, I thought the point was that I, I was related somehow to this. <laughs> All paths lead to, oh, to Peter Walsh. Walsh. Exactly. Now that, we've, got the, no, it's, now that yeah. we've gotten through that, let's get on to stumbling blocks. Uh, and it would be betters and cutting your hand off and unquenchable fire. Oh, man. You know, Justin, you, you grew up down south. Why don't you take on the unquenchable <laughs> fire here? Oh. Start yeah, with thanks. Okay. Thanks for that. That's the way I roll. Uh, so, so I have to say, um, I have a lot of difficulty with this particular passage. Um, I do not believe that any religious or spiritual reality is worth self harm in any form, and I do not think that. God is going to put the world together. If God is truly good and truly all-powerful, etc., if God is all the things that Christians purport to believe God is, God would not create a world in which self-harm would be the solution to the problems of the world. That's just, that, that, that does not compute for me. And that seems to be what Jesus is saying here, right? If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your eyes cause you to stumble, Tear them out. And so, you know, when I was growing up uh, in a fundamentalist Christian tradition, this passage was used particularly to talk about lust. Uh, you know, if you uh, look at another person lustfully, it will be better for you to gouge your eye out than to be thrown into hell on, on account of your lust. And, um, you know, I, <laughs> I'll say, fortunately, not many of us um, gouged our eyes out or anything like that, but I do wonder whether or not that kind of teaching did cause a kind of self-hatred in many people for which, uh, a kind of self-hatred with which God has very little to do. Um, I remember talking to a mentor of mine in Tennessee, the dean of the cathedral, about something in the vicinity of exactly this. I'm not going mm-hmm. to repeat my confession, right? Uh, and he just looked at me and he said, Justin, I don't think God cares as much as you do. And the amount of the, the liberation that that felt like yeah. was incredible. Yeah. But, you know, he is, Jesus is talking about something real, even if the way that the gospel here puts it is um, difficult. Because I do think that sin, which I think of as alienation from God, each other, and our true selves, can mm-hmm. cause us to want to gouge our eyes out, to want oh, wow. to cut off our hands. I mean, we can be in grief over our sin. I'm not talking about like the little sins, like, you know, you tell a white lie at dinner or something like that. And whether or not that's actually a sin, I, I don't actually know that that's always a sin. I actually think that sin is not so much breaking a rule, right? We tend to think of God mm, as a kind right, of Santa Claus right. who's, you know, making his list and checking it twice. And to sin is to do something bad. And I don't actually think that's what it is. I think it's referring to sin names the alienation from God, each other, and our true selves that wrongdoing can produce, can generate in us and make it very difficult for us to flourish. I mean, sin is, God doesn't come up with like a list of rules that we should follow and in some arbitrary way. I think that human beings flourish when we are holy and that we malfunction, as it were, when we are not. We're all in we're all in bondage to sin in some sense. We're all affected by it in some way. And that the dis- people can fall into a despair about their sin that could cause them to feel in this way. The solution to which is not to cut off your foot or to gouge out your eye, right? But it's actually 
to is to say that uh, in Christ we have complete, irrevocable, and total forgiveness and a solution to all that ails us, our sin, evil in the world, and so on. That the word about the word of Christianity is grace, not punishment. Now that might sit uneasily here with the sayings about hell, but I've already talked enough, so I'll let somebody else cover yeah. hell. <laughs> You looking at me? I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I think that the question for me, two questions for me are: um, What does Jesus mean by stumbling here, and what does it mean to enter the kingdom of God? And so, stumbling. I I don't know if he's referring to sin, per se, or mm. or if it means um, you know in the context of Mark in the first century, you know the perseverance, the continuing the race, the kind of mm. you know staying. Um, hopeful and and faithful in the midst of all the evidence uh, to the contrary and um, and and then you know he's saying if you put a stumbling block before one of the little ones that means like the new the people new to the movement or you know young people of young faith um, you know you're supposed to bring them in not like put them through a million hoops and make them doubt or I don't know not help build them up or something. Yeah. I mean, there's maybe a different tone here um, that could be, I mean, obviously it's, it's hyperbolic and, and severe, but I think that if you read kingdom of God as having a certain um, way of the heart, you know, seeing with the heart and not the head, I think that the things we do to stumble are to do this whole exclusionary thing and like divide divide the people of God or divide the world into us and them and in and out and hell and heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can get to the kingdom of God by changing the way that you see the things that you do, the places you go, you know, your hand, your eye, hands and feet, um, you know, it's better to, to, to change the habit that you're so married to and get into the kingdom of God, even if it costs you what you feel is valuable, like oh, power or position or, you know, I think there's a much, hmm. much more um, subtle meaning that has to be sucked out of this because it, it is hard to get there with this kind of language. But I, I do feel that you're, you're right in the fundamentalist traditions. It's so literally, it's read so literally and I think that's the stumbling block is you can't even see past the words to see that what Jesus is really all about, which is changing people's hearts and not, um, you know, just waving magic wands to get everyone into heaven. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's it's hard language. I wish he had explained himself better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, thank you for that. Um, I, I do I, I do think that the language is is rough. I mean, you guys remember. A year ago, when I was really settled into the Psalms, and I kept saying, well, God's a terrorist because God was bringing terror. It says God bring, bring terror in the Psalms. And, yeah. and, and the violence in the Bible, you, many of you remember the story of my reading the Bible to my son when he was three or four years old and saying, oh, no, 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 not the Bible. It's so violent, <laughs> you know, so violent. Mm-hmm. And, and here we are um, with violent language, which we're stumbling over, yeah. frankly. Uh, yeah. But there's no doubt that Jesus uh, is a, a man of his time and uh, Hebraic argumentation involves this kind of 
uh, extreme examples in order to get to get uh, attention. It was it's the way it's done. In fact, the first time I went to to the Holy Land, uh, the we were brought there by a group of Connecticut Jewish uh, men, the Anti Defamation League of Connecticut, and they said, you know, I just want to warn you about the way dialogue takes place in the state of Israel, mm. and uh, not perhaps completely unlike this. I, I'm completely with you that uh, issues of self-mutilation are an anathema to God. Um, I, I have to believe that, just like I believe that I don't care. I don't think God cares um, uh, about a lot of things that we think that God cares about. I really, I just really don't believe mm-hmm. it. I, I think we shrink God down when we think that God cares about, mm-hmm. uh, the divine cares about some of these <laughs> little picayune things that we're all, you know, mm-hmm. like worried about or, or stumbling on ourselves. But I, I, I do think that the, the passage is very challenging, and there's all kinds of Bible studies around where did these fires come from, what are the mm. worms in uh, Gehenna, which yeah. is a, a ravine in the southwest portion. Out of Jerusalem, there's a ravine and where they dumped their garbage, and then during the time of uh, Jeremiah, they were sacrificing uh, children to a different god, and that mm. they burnt these fires when Josiah made it a garbage dump, and, mm. the, and, the, and the worms are or maggots, and it was a horrible place where the fires mm. built, and people just kept chucking their garbage in. Mm. And eventually, you know, in Enoch, uh, in the intertestinal period, that becomes hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so it started as a it started as a valley named after a guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and what we do, what we do with hell, and what we do with sin, or not these are not the same sorts of things. Our understanding of our our sinfulness and our understanding of hell, very very different things. And I do think when you know when Paul says, "Take your." Work out your salvation, uh, you know, with, with fear. He was talking about it. Take it seriously. And these are the sorts of things mm-hmm. that are meant to, I think, that we can receive and say, yeah, what do I really think about this? How, mm-hmm. how do I? It yeah. Is the kingdom the pearl of a great price that I'm willing mm-hmm. to go for? Which is what the, I think this, you know, you're talking about in Luke, this is, mm-hmm. you know, comes out as the pearl of a great price. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, that's Jewel, um, Jewel knows that I had a maggot experience a little earlier this week with some trash. That's that what been I'm talking here about while, here, so, um, man. That's biblical. Really... The Lord has delivered those maggots <laughs> for this moment. Oh here. my gosh! Oh, mm. um, <clears throat> I don't want to think about that too much. I'll think about that some. I'll work out my salvation with fear internally with regard to the maggots later. Um, you know, but 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 on the question of hell, just because we just because we brought it up, yeah. um, you know, I as a and I partly I want to say this because. Um, because I have no idea who's listening to these things. Maybe you're a member of St. Mark's. Maybe, maybe you're not. But maybe this will be helpful to you in the way that it was helpful to me to receive as somebody who grew up terrified, utterly terrified mm. of hell. Um, yeah. It is an open question in the early church whether or not anybody is there, right? <laughs> so, like, the, the early Christians transformed this uh, – well, they, they, they took these sayings about hell, which were derived from this place – the literal place called Gehenna. Yeah. And they, they said that, you know, Gehenna is like a um, – it's like a physical, geographic metaphor for this state of being completely alienated from God, right. which they wanted to say was possible because they wanted to say God would not override anybody's free choice. If God is loving, God is not going to force God's self on somebody else, mm-hmm. right? God is not going to save them by being coercive. Um, but they were not decided about whether or not hell was populated. So hell existed for somebody like the early church father Gregory of Nyssa, but nobody was there. And I think that's a really important thing for people to remember, that even in the early church, these are people who, you know, we call the early church fathers because they're authoritative in some sense. These are the people who wrote the creeds, right? Gregory of Nyssa was involved in creating and formulating the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, For him, 
he was not at all sure that anybody was there. In fact, he was very, very optimistic that hell was completely empty. And that is something that I have, um, I, I have to say, as soon as I learned it, I have clung to it because um, I have a lot of difficulty actually reconciling a populated hell with a God who is all-powerful and all-loving. I don't know how God is going to get what God wants, but if God is all-loving, God would want everybody to enjoy the good of God's own life forever, to enjoy reconciled relationships with one another, to enjoy whatever it is that we mean by new creation. God would want that for all of God's creatures and for all of creation. And if God is all-powerful, surely God can get what God wants without coercion. How God works that out, I don't know. Gregory had some ways of speculating about it. But the most important thing, for me anyway, is that Christians do not univocally or universally believe that there are people in hell. That's just not true. I think if you're talking about the afterlife, that is right. Yeah. And there are people in hell in this life. Yes, that's right, yeah. And there's a long, large, as you know, like a large school of thought that talks about heaven and hell in, in the now, in the here and now. And, and that's where it becomes, you know, a, a real spiritual um, fight to, mm. to get to heaven now and to, you know, get oneself out of hell now. And, you know, I think that that's, that's what the kingdom of God is, is like, it is near you, it is within you, it is there for the taking, but it takes, you know, serious, um, it takes a serious self-questioning and a self-examination and, mm. and um, transformation to get there. And it's, it is serious. It's not, you don't just go buy it at a store or get it in a yoga class. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can, those are steps, practices, but I, or I mean, the yoga part, but... <laughs> Um, you know, it's, I think hell here and now is the one that we need to be concerned about. Mm. And, and the kingdom of God in the here and now is the one that Jesus came to bring for us now. And, you know, there are people living in hell who don't want to be there. And um, it's really, yeah. really hard to get out and no one can do it alone. And I think that, you know, remove stumbling blocks for one another is to help people out of that, mm. that hell. Yeah. And, uh, that's that's where I think it's kind of salient for me that people think about hell in a different way than we usually do. Yeah. You know, because, yeah, it is an open question, like, who's in the afterlife hell if there is one? But there, we know for sure people are in the, the hell in the here and now. It's totally true, yeah. <clears throat> yes, wow, really, really interesting. I mean, the whole question mm. of alienation, people alienated from God, from themselves, from their family, from all things, yeah. from all connectivity. Uh, in that, in the hell that that causes, uh, and whether or not you know, does that alienation live? How does that alienation get transformed uh, mm -hmm. at death in in the in the light of Christ? And does mm -hmm. the cross uh, is the power of the cross? This question does the power of the cross save? You know, does salvation extend to those who are completely alienated in that way? What happens when a casket comes in the church and you lay a pall on the casket, which mm -hmm. is to say you lay Christ upon your life, uh, so that? And remember Luther saying that he looked down upon humanity uh, after the after the um, salvific work of Christ as a newly fallen snow, just just perfect in its purity. So, so, so much to say on that. Yeah. But our time is ticking and talking here. So let's turn to the last uh, verses here. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. Uh, but if salt is lost, its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. I love salt. 
like I really, really, really you love like salt. You like salt more than sugar? I do, actually, yeah. Okay, there are yeah, those people. I, I've been that way for a very long time. Uh, Jewel and I have a continue, uh, continual argument about how much salt to put in the food. I think because I like salt so much that I've, you know, uh, perhaps I've become too accustomed to it or something like that. <laughs> Jewel's like, this tastes fine. And I'm like, it doesn't taste like anything. Um, I, you know, so far my blood pressure's all right, you know, so I've not had to cut back on the sodium. <laughs> yeah, let's not check it right now. Um, so... Oh, the thing I love about salt, though, is not the taste of salt. It's not just like – because nobody wants – I'll just speak for me. Use I statements. I don't want to put a spoon in the salt and, like, eat it. That's not it. It's the fact that you put the salt in the dish, and when you put enough of it in the dish, Jewel, uh, then the dish <laughs> tastes – yes, thank you. Uh, then it, it, it tastes you – can, you can taste all the other flavors. You don't actually taste the salt so much as you taste, like, the – you know, you, you taste – the, the symphony of all of the other flavors, it's a miracle of salt, is that you don't, I mean, it, it's, um, you do, if you were to compare it to a symphony, it's not like one big instrument that you hear, it's not like the tuba or something like that, and you just like play it and you can't hear anything else, it's rather that which allows you to hear the cello and the violin and all this stuff, and I don't know, you can compare it to celery or wine or whatever it is that you put in your dish. I'll just say, I've become an aficionado of... Um, Ina Garten's recipes during the pandemic because mm-hmm. they were during that season where uh, my wife and I weren't going out to dinner. Uh, I was like, hmm, I really like French food. I've got to learn how to cook it myself. And I'll just say the beef bourguignon comes out a lot better when you put enough salt in it than when you <laughs> undersalt it. You undersalt it, it doesn't taste like anything. This podcast is really valuable. You're catching this on your beef bourguignon <laughs> and salt is symphony. That's really, yeah, we now turn it's to pretty much unbeatable. <laughs> <laughs> You're a, good, you're a good cook. What do you think of Ina Garten? Uh, yeah, oh, anyway, uh, what do you make of salt? Well, here? well Justin and Jewel are having gourmet meals from Ina Garten. I'm usually cleaning knee scr- scratches and scrapes <laughs> on my eight-year-old yeah, yeah. and eating hot dogs for dinner. No, not even hot dogs. Too much salt on a hot dog. I don't know. But um, no, I like the idea of salt, too, as a cleanser and a purifier. And mm. I think in this context, um, it's talking about the salt that, that people threw on their sacrifices. And, and having salt in yourself is to have that that cleansing preservative and, and, and mm. flavor and, you know, liveliness that it's all the things I think together that salt is. But, um, frankly, I don't really understand these words. These, this is, these last words. this is sometimes known as the most difficult passage in the new Testament to, mm. uh, to yeah. figure out what exactly Jesus is talking about here. Uh, for everyone will be salted with fire. Uh, in this, in this line here, I think it's connecting the uh, the line from above, and the fire uh, is never quenched. The one is the fires of hell, and this, I think, is perhaps maybe the fires of trial will be salted mm. with our... You know, we call that's somebody good. salty. Uh, that's, that, uh, that has a certain... Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, that, that, ain't, that ain't in the, in the New and Old Testaments, right? That not in the Hebrew Scriptures. Salty, uh, salt is a very positive thing mm-hmm. uh, in, in their world. Salt is good. It says right here, salt is good. Uh, I will note that salt... Pure salt cannot lose its saltiness. It's a it's a mineral and, and it's not, it doesn't break down. But their salt was, of course, mixed with gypsum and all the other sorts of stuff in the ground and and uh, was all mixed up uh, together. But certainly seasoning it certainly has to do with preservers of food, has to do with flavorings, uh, and then uh, have salt in yourselves. Okay, we'll finish up with this salt in yourselves being the community of believers, right? Uh, the usness that started up at the beginning here. Mm-hmm. We are to be salt salty people, right? And we're to be at peace with one another. Uh, and, and that's part of our salt, is to be at peace uh, with one another. The, the passage that has got us plucking out our eyes uh, as, as adolescent kids uh, now ends with saying, 
uh, you know, be salty and be peace with one another. Mm -hmm. uh, our time is ticking, talking, and running long here. Uh, uh, anybody with a final word to salt our, our people in podcast land? <laughs> I'd love to hear from people about their, yeah. their thoughts on these passages and all the passages we talk about. So my word is just uh, respond, and we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, what is the salt? What's going on with the salt here? Yeah. The feedback we've received has been really fun and really engaging, and it sometimes makes its way into our sermons. So we would love it if you'd be in touch with us, if you'd like what we're up to here, if you would share it or subscribe to it, but be in touch because, uh, you know, the world needs uh, uh, salty people. Uh, in the so, <laughs> Maybe in both senses. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, God bless you. Thanks for joining us. Oh, 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 oh,